It's been a little bit of a crazy week, uh, been definitely a crazy day, and um, you know, it's just uh, watching things you'll see up here, there is going to say moving to the mess, and there's going to be some scripture up there, and it might not even be in the right scripture, I'm not sure yet, because the way technology is, is it likes to mess with me, and um, it's messing with me today, so I would like to, first of all, welcome you to the in-between weekend, and you might be thinking, what is the in-between weekend? Well, in the month of May, when I'm making my calendar out, I start writing down all the things that I'd like to do, and um, as we work through Easter, that was uh, in, in March, we worked through April and talked about this changes everything, and then it went from that and transitioned from that particular sermon series into... Uh, First was my anniversary weekend, and in that we talked about death by distraction. We talked about how uh, there's lots of things in our lives like to pull us away from what God would have us to be and the, and the direction and the relationship that we have for that. And if you weren't here on May 1st, uh, that is uh, online. You can listen to that. Then it went from that into Mother's Day weekend. And Mother's Day weekend, it ties itself. You, you talk about uh, moms. You talk about just the, the glory that, that God has blessed us with because every one of us have a mom. And whether we have a great relationship with or not, they got us to this point, at least uh, in, in part. So we get to celebrate that. And we talked about being hashtag blessed and talked about what it means to be blessed. And we looked at that once again online if you didn't have a chance to listen to that. Then last week, we celebrated our graduates. We, we said, hey, you know what? When you're stepping out into this world, you need to take responsibility. We live in a culture that does not take responsibility, and you need to take responsibility, not push that out onto somebody else. As a matter of fact, this week has been a joke in our house. What's your slice of the pie? As everybody's arguing about something in our house, what's your slice of the pie? Well, I don't want to focus on my slice. And I said, no. That was our one homework assignment we had to leave that last week. So we talked about that. Then next week's Memorial Day. We're doing communion on Saturday night. You got part of that message before all the TV shut down on us. And uh, uh, we're going to do communion next Saturday night. We're going to have the communion table here. We're going to invite everybody who comes on Sunday mornings as well to be a part of that with us. And then on Sunday morning, we're going to have a service at the park. If you take Idalia that way and you hit that stop sign just past the dump, uh, our park's on the other side of it. It's going to be a delicious meal uh, right there across the street from the dump. But it's a lot of fun. We're going to go over there, hang out, have a barbecue, and, uh, and enjoy that time together. So, uh, and in that, we're going to talk about how do you want to be remembered. And so, all of those uh, days have their own tie-in. I mean, you have anniversary, we talked about that. You have Mother's Day, you could talk about that. You have graduation, you could talk about that. You have Memorial Day. Well, this is the Sunday, this is the Saturday that fall right in between it all. And it's not like you can start a new series, and we're going to do our At the Movie series in two weeks, which I'm really excited about. I hope that you are as well. And we're going to have popcorn and all that fun stuff for you guys to, to be able to hang out. We're going to look at the messages that are found in the summer's biggest blockbusters. What do you do today, though? That is the question. And I sat there and I wrestled with it. And even as I wrote out the calendar, it had a big question mark on it. What, what to talk about this weekend? And I was praying, I'm like, God, lead me to what we're supposed to say. And, you know, one of the big things that's weighing on my heart right now, one of the big things that, that's it's kind of uh, on my shoulders, and, and I, I don't want it on my shoulders, but unfortunately it's going to be there whether I like it or not. At 16 months from now, we are moving from this building. Where we're going, I don't know. I would like to know that. I would like to be able to say, hey, in Rio Rancho, there's a building that opened up that looks just like a church that doesn't have anybody in it, and we could just occupy that. That would be awesome. And if it was cheap, that would even be better. But that doesn't seem to be the case that God is just opening those doors, or maybe he will eventually. So, but the thing is, 
is even if we want to move, even if we want to do anything, we're going to have to start raising funds to be able to do that and be able to renovate and be able to do all those kind of things. And I said, well, God, is that what you want me to talk about today? And I started thinking, why don't we talk about stewardship? Why don't we talk about giving of our time? Why don't we talk about giving of our, of our resources? Why don't we talk about giving of our effort? And, and what God has given us, we give back to him. But God didn't really lead me that way. It wasn't what he was, that's what I wanted to say, but that wasn't what he kept telling me. Because as I was studying, the thing that kept coming to me was why? Why do we do that? Why be a steward? Why use the resources that you have? Why use the the financial tithe? Why do those things? Why move in that direction? And that why do we do what we do? Why do we even come to church? Why even be a part of a church? Why even do that? was what was weighing on me that God wanted me to say. And really what it did is it came right down to, to a, 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 the heart of the matter. And we talked about it up front, and I would love to throw it up here under the screen and show you what we talked about right up front in the front of the year. We did our 300th celebration. Then we said, hey, here comes 301. And we kicked off, and we said, here's where we're going with it. And we said, we're going to refocus on our five main priorities. And our five main priorities are gospel-centered discipleship, gospel-centered evangelism, gospel-centered worship, gospel-centered prayer, and gospel-centered connection. And having those things be what we do and why we do it. And that in itself, if you look at it, is the reason why we exist as a church. Because if we're doing those things, they're not glamorous things, they're not gorgeous things, they're not sexy things. But if we're doing that as a church, that's what God has called every church to do. And as we see that, and as we hear that, and as we say, this is what we're going to do, why? What is the end result of that? What is the vision that we want to see happen? Why do we need to move to another building? Why do we need to exist as a church? And it's because we want to see life change. Our goal from the very beginning, from the very first day that God laid Paragon Church on my heart and said, this is what I want you to lead. This is where I want you to follow me in and bring people with you. He said to me, I want people to grow in the relationship with him with me. I, I, I want to see people, whether people far from Jesus or people close to Jesus, I want to see people moving closer to me. That's what he kept telling me, and that's what we exist for, and that's what it's about, and that's where gospel-centered discipleship and evangelism and prayer and connection and worship really play themselves out at, and that's what we see And that was what we talked about at the beginning. We talked about that being it and that being the heart of why we do what we do. That is why we give our efforts. That is why we give our tithes. That is why not only reason, first of all, is because God called us to, but second, you know, the, the people who work on the other side of this wall, if you're one of those people, God bless you. And I mean that in the greatest sense. My kids are crazy, and I love to put them on that side of the wall. I feel for you for that hour. I really do. We went to this conference this weekend, and it was, it was great. It was over at Sandia Baptist Church, and it was, a, it was called a replant conference. It was talking about revitalizing. And it was talking about planting a church and, and, and moving in the direction that God has called us to go and reaching a culture that, that doesn't do church. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. I'm sh- if you're not, it's because you're in a cave, and we're welcome out from underneath your rock today. But the, the thing is, is church doesn't, doesn't exist out there. They don't care about it anymore. You know, people don't just come to church. That's not the first thing on their mind. As a matter of fact, it's not even the last thing on their mind. They don't, they don't care. 
They don't drive by and go, hey, that's, I, you know, I haven't ever been to church. Today's the day. That's, that's not what they're thinking. So how do we reach that culture? And we're over there, and we're doing that. And they said, hey, we provide child care. And Christy's like, great, we'll take them all. And so we took them all over there. And these little old ladies, ah, they were beautiful little old ladies. And they, they had their little, um, uh, their Southern Baptist has a thing called the disaster relief. And they were wearing their yellow shirts. And that's what it always says, Southern Baptist disaster relief on the back. And I'm like, it's more aptly named than you possibly know. And, and so we sent our kids into there, and they're all having fun. And, and Levi, our little guy from China, he, and he has some energy in him. And when he gets hyper, whoo, it's like a bull in a China shop, and I'm not even joking. And we'd taken him out, and, and he came and ate lunch with us, and we sat there and ate. We took him back over there. And these little old ladies, they'd already been dealing with him all morning. I'm sure they were a little bit worn out. They enjoyed their little lunch, and they are playing cars together. And they all had this big card table together. And he runs over and just goes, <laughs> and just... The little old lady's like, well, I never. And I'm like, I, I haven't either. I have no idea what to say to you. I, I am so sorry. He was excited to see you guys play cards. And we're going back to the conference. See you later. That, that was, but you know, when, when we're giving for that, even when that lady said, well, I never. Well, you know, that's kind of what it's about. You're, you're giving your time. You're giving your effort. And you're doing these things for a purpose. There's, there's more to it than just filling a role or filling a spot. You're, you're changing lives. And, and that's what God has really kind of led me to today because I think sometimes in the church, and, and maybe this is that little old lady, I, I don't know her heart, I don't know, but you know, sometimes we just get into going to church. Church is just a go-to. It's a fun part of our Saturday night, hopefully. Hopefully it's not the dreaded part. You know, we go, we don't. We we, we we get caught up in just wanting it for us and wanting to get something out of the deal. And, and I thought about how boring that sounds. In all reality, my life isn't boring. I hope that yours isn't either. And a lot of times, and, and you know, I was thinking about today is actually a good day to talk about boredom because in about a week, all the kids who were just dying to get out of school were be like, I'm bored. I'm tired of Netflix. You know, it's, gonna, it's just going to be one of those things. You're going to see it kind of play itself out and boredom will kick in. But did, did Jesus come and die and raise again and, and save us so that we could be bored? So that we could be boring? You know, uh, some people, we, we think, even as I talk about we're going to be moving to another building, it doesn't matter where we meet at. I'm just going to be very honest with you. Because the church is not a building. It is us. It is us sitting together. It is us worshiping together, and it's us going out together and changing this world. And, and as I see that, I think sometimes we lose that. We, we get to the idea of, oh, we have to make sure the church is. And we're thinking church building. And we, we come to church and we'll sing some songs and we'll hear a message and we go back to our regular week of just doing. And to me, that, that's a little bit boring. And, and I, I think about one of the complaints I had about church when I was growing up as a kid was it was boring. And I'm like, Jesus didn't die for it to be boring. I mean, look at his life. Look at what he did. When he was here on earth, would you say that he was boring? No. 
Even the religious people didn't like it. That, I mean, so you know it wasn't boring. He was out there. He was pushing the limits, and, and we see that, and he, he, we see that he came to save, and we see that he came to serve, and we see that, that he came to, to hang out with the mess. He didn't even come to hang out with the religious people. You know, if you ever look at the Scripture and you see when he's challenging people and he's pushing forward and, and he's reaching out to people, it's not the religious people. He, the only thing he ever really says to the religious people is, what are you doing? What's wrong with you? Don't you see? And they, they killed him for it. He came to serve. And he came right in the mess. And he came to give of himself. And he came to give everything. And he didn't, he didn't sit back and watch from the outside. He got dirty. He got right up into the mess. And you know what? When I think of us as a church, as a body of believers following Christ, that is what we get to be involved in. And I'm excited about that. I hope that you're excited about that too. You'll see these bags that are right here. That There are homeless blessing bags. And we have less than we did the last time. Uh, but we still have some for you to give out. And I was thinking, you know, maybe we should change it up a little bit. Because one thing I found about these bags that's easy is if somebody's standing on the side of the road, you're like, here you go. Gone. You could actually talk to a person. I can tell you where they hang out at, even here in Rio Rancho. They hang out behind Esther T-Bone, uh, maybe it's just Esther Bone. I always throw in the T and it messes myself up. The, the Memorial Library that's over here. They, they hang out behind it. Let's go over there, let's take some bags to them and, and, and talk to them and have an actual conversation. It might get a little bit messy, but isn't that exactly what Jesus did? Didn't he get into the mess? Didn't he throw aside, you know, we, I, when I was a little kid, we, we used to talk about um, well, not we. My parents used to tell me about being guilty about, by association. Well, you can't hang out with them. You're going to be guilty by association. But let me ask you a question. Would, would, would Jesus be guilty by association? Was he worried about being guilty by association? Because you know what association means? It means actually having connection. It means actually having interaction. And in order to reach people that are far from him, he had to interact with them. And I got to thinking about these things, and I said, you know, it, our culture has changed. And we, we sat through this conference, and this guy was a Ph.D. in missiology, and I'm not even sure what that means. I, I don't know what that word is, but he had a Ph.D. in it. And, uh, and he was telling us about culture, and, and he started all the way back at the beginning of Christianity and how it affected Rome and, and the way that it got into it in about 313 A.D., and Constantine made it the favored religion, and, and so it kind of changed culture, and some things happened, and went up, and then the Reformation happened, and then the Renaissance happened, and then Enlightenment happened, and then all this, and I probably got that all backwards in the historical, so if you're a history guy, I apologize. The, the thing is, is that we've seen it shift up, and we've seen it shift down, and right now we're watching it drop, that it switched from being a biblical Christianity in our culture to a civil religion is what he said. That it's gone from actually focusing on Jesus as the only way to that we will give thanks to God and God can be whatever you want it to be. When I stand up to give my Academy Award speech and I thank God for this, you can assume whoever that is. But when we're specific on Jesus, it changes things. We saw that happen in culture. You know, we live in a culture that's a mess. We live in a culture that is struggling with itself. 
but even more so, they're struggling with the idea of the church. And the reality of this can be very discouraging. I think the church gets discouraged by culture, so what they'll do is they'll start huddling within their own walls. And this is our holy huddle. We come in here and we feel good together, but then we have to go back out into that deep, dark world and try not to act like a Christian because, heaven forbid, somebody know we are one. And that seems to be more and more of a problem. And I think Christians get on this, this roller coaster. And it's a roller coaster of ups and downs and lefts and rights and twists and loops. But the problem is, is this roller coaster isn't your average roller coaster. It's Space Mountain at Disneyland. And if you've ever been on Space Mountain at Disneyland, there's a couple of distinct features about it. It was the first roller coaster I ever won on as a kid. It was the first one I was tall enough to ride when we were at the right amusement park at the right time. And I didn't realize it, but it's pitch black when you go into, into Space Mountain. So not only is it fast, not only is it loud, not only do they have music blaring at 100 decibels, but they also have no idea where they're going. You're just along for the ride. And sometimes I feel like that with our Christian lives. Sometimes I feel that when I'm doing ministry, that, God, I don't know where we're going, and I don't know what's happening, and I don't know what's going to take place next. But you know what? He does. And the thing is, is I'm going up and down, and I'm going up and down. How do I stay grounded in the he does? How do I walk through it together? How do I understand that when I'm in the midst of ministry, when I am getting my hands dirty and I really don't like where this is going or whatever it might be, that that I can stop and say, okay, God knows what he's doing. He sent his son Jesus who already did it. How do I stay grounded in that? Well, if you have your Bibles with you, and I'm going to encourage you actually to use your Bibles today because I don't have, maybe, they might be on the screen, it might shut off. So if you have your Bibles, do me a favor. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And if you don't have your Bibles, I didn't do the U version either. Technology was not my friend this week. And so um, go there, try and find it on your phone, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And what we're going to do is we're going to to look at this, and we're going to look at how Paul was encouraging the church at Corinth in a culture that was way worse than ours. See, our culture has had Christianity influence. At that point in time, they were just trying to learn how to influence the culture. They were just trying to reach into a culture. I mean, you see Paul in many writings talk about the idols that they're worshiping and all the things that are going on that are, have nothing to do with Christianity. They're trying to influence the culture. We are too. It just isn't nearly as drastic. And we see it, and we see it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He's, he's writing to this church. And in, we're going to pick it up in verse 11. And the verse 11 says the word therefore. And the reason why it is there is it, it's going back to the first 10 verses that are written before. And he says in those 10 verses, basically, here's a to-do of knowing that it's not about here. It's about there. It's about heaven. We're doing our things for him. We're doing our things for heaven. We're not worried about ourselves here. Therefore, he says this, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God. It's kind of like you said, Cher. He does. He knows. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. So what he's saying here is, You guys know, and he's writing to this church in Corinth, and he's just as much writing to us. You guys know that there's days you feel like you've been forgotten by God. 
See, he's writing to people that are in the midst of ministry. And sometimes we think that this guy right here that's standing up in the front is the one that's in the middle of ministry, but you are all in the middle of ministry. You all have been placed by God in a location to minister to people. People that I could never minister to. People that will never walk through that door. But you have the opportunity to minister to them. And he says, there's days we're going to feel like we're forgotten. There's days we're going to feel like we're in this dark ride and it's going up and down. We don't know what's going to happen next. So much so we feel like the lap belt's coming loose and we're getting ready to fly out of this thing on this cart. And, and he's like, I got you. I know what's going on. He knows the ups. He knows the downs. He knows the critics that are going to throw things at you and make fun of you and say things negative about you. He knows your heart. And in verse 12, it says this, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you a cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Now, that's kind of a, a, a verse there, and I don't have the other ones up there, but if you have the NIV version or the NLT version, listen to what it says there. He says, we're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, saying, hey, look at what we're doing, not because of actually what we're doing, but you can take pride in what is uh, not just what is seen, but actually what's in the heart. You can take pride in the sincerity of the heart. As a matter of fact, that's what verse 12 says in the New Living Translation. So you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. And you can have an answer for them. Because sometimes when we get caught in this roller coaster, I'll be honest with you, there is more than one day that I have gotten the numbers report on, on Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon. And if the numbers report's good, I'm good. If the number report's bad, I'm not so good. Since when is it about me? That is the constant reminder that I have to do. See, when you have a spectacular ministry, it's really funny that all the glitches happen today with this idea of a spectacular ministry because there are churches, and I'm not going to throw any of them under the bus because it's really about the heart, but there are some that throw the heart aside and say it's all about the show and a spectacular ministry. And in it, what is going on, what Paul is even saying right here is it was going on 2,000 years ago as well. It was all about the show, all about putting on this thing. And they forget that really God cares about the heart. See, the day that I die, my family and my obituary isn't going to say anything about how great the church ministry was or how big the church building was or how many people we had come to a service the week before I died. Those things aren't going to be in there. You know what's going to be in there? And I hope. I don't know. I saw an obituary this week. I don't think the lady probably expected it. Did you guys see it on Facebook? The, uh, the lady who died, she was 68 and said, we left with the opportunity to choose between Trump or Clinton. She decided to go be with the Lord. Um, so I thought that was funny. But um, the, uh, the um, yeah, I, I laughed when I saw it. And I was like, huh, I would have put it up there, but technology. Anyways, the, uh, the thing is, I'm hoping that they put the fact that I loved God that I followed Jesus, that I loved and I led my family, that I loved and I led my church, and that my heart was sincere. It wasn't about a big, flashy ministry. It doesn't matter how much money funnels in. It doesn't matter how big a building that we get or don't get. What matters is, is we are in it for life change. 
that we are seeing people move closer to Jesus. Whether they are as far away as they possibly can be and we're bringing them small steps, or they're as close as they think they can be and we're bringing them small steps. That that is what discipleship is. That is what evangelism is. That is what worship is. That is what prayer is. That is what connection is. That is why we do what we do. And I want to see that play out. And I want to see it not about a spectacular ministry, but instead having a sincere heart. And how do we see that? Well, it's about a gut check. It's about a gut check and realizing what our heart is and realizing what our motives are and realizing that it's not about us. See, last Saturday night, 11.45, I had a gut check. My gut check was in the form of violent retching that was going on in the bathroom as my son Peyton went in there. And I try and roll over and go back to sleep and act like I didn't hear it, but um, that wasn't the case. And Christy came in, and she's like, hey, I need your help. And I opened up the door to his room. Now, while the violent retching was going on in the bathroom, I opened the door to his room, and I turned on the light. And they have a full over full-size uh, bunk bed. And the ladder's on the end, and he was coming down the bunk bed when he exploded the first time. And it hit the side of the bed, and it went through the slats up, and it went through the slats down where Levi was still asleep covered in vomit and it went down the the floor and it went down on the dresser that was underneath. I know some of you are really starting to get really disgusted right now. I'm sorry, I'm going into so much detail. It splashed back onto him. It splashed onto the wall. I'm standing there like this. Yeah. What do you do? And, and, And that was it. That was exactly it. I, I stood there and I'm like, where do you even start? Because it was everywhere. And it was 11.45 and I had church the next morning and I knew it wasn't going to be like a quick cleanup. It wasn't like, you know, I, I wish. Didn't have that. What, I didn't have the magic wand today. And I saw it. I remember sitting there and I'm like, what am I going to do? And I knew I couldn't just walk away. I wanted to. I wanted to just go get back in bed. But I did. I grabbed some towels. I grabbed some simple green. And I started on the dresser and I worked my way around. And by 1.30 in the morning, I was done cleaning up. And all of them were asleep in other rooms and on the floor. And I said, yeah, you guys already went to church. So you don't even need to worry about it, you know. I'm sitting there. And of course, I'm already amped up going, okay, this is great. And start talking to yourself through those things. But I I thought about that gut check. It wasn't like I went in and yelled at Peyton. How can you be sick tonight? What? Couldn't you wait until Monday when it's my day off? You know, that, that was not my, my thinking. Well, I shouldn't say it wasn't the thing. It was, wasn't what was coming out of my mouth. Because, you know, sometimes we look at it and we say, how, how am I supposed to deal with this? But in the gut check type of world, we have to understand something. We look out there and we, this world's a mess. And the reason why the world's messy is because sin is messy. And people are fully involved in sin. And they're fully drowning in it. And you know what we're supposed to do as a church? Get a rag and start cleaning up. The thing is, we stand off to the side and go, where do we start? Start right where you're at. That's that's what I had to do with the vomit. And it was just a great illustration, reminder of that as I walked through that. See, we're not here to put on a spectacular ministry. We're here to begin cleaning up the mess. We're here to, to say we are Jesus to the world. We don't just come to church. We are the church. And we go and we clean up the mess. Now, are we all going to be able to clean up the entire mess? No, Jesus is going to take care of that at the end, but we're taking care of our part now. 
And that is where we go, and that is what we do. We're here for real life change. Like I said, discipleship and evangelism, those are words that are not, wow, unless you're Billy Graham. There's only one of him, so what's the rest of us supposed to do? You know, you think about uh, prayer. We, we, we don't really think prayer is going to work, do we? But we'd do it a whole lot more often, wouldn't we? You know, there, there's questions like that that come to our mind, and, you know, we see these things, and we understand that th- that's why we go. And I thought about that little old lady that said, well, I'll never, I never, when she looked at Levi, and I thought to myself, when that guy that's smashed drunk walks into your church, when that woman that may have been selling herself the night before walks into your church and she's wearing something that might not be as appropriate, when that person that is struggling, that's just come from the casino and blown everything and coming down and just saying, God, I don't know what to do next, when those people come into the church, is she going to say, well, I never? Because we should never be that way. But how many people in church do that? Because they look at the mess and they say, I just want to go back to bed. I'm just going to act like it doesn't exist. That shouldn't be the case. You know, I I heard uh, a guy make this statement one time. The churches get caught up in making a point. Make a point, make a point, make a point, make a point. But we're not here to make a point. You know what we're here to make? A difference. That is our job. That's what we're called to do. We're called to make a difference in this world. The next thing is, is, you know, I even just think about with a person with a mess. You know, the point that we like to do is say, look at the mess you're in. You don't think they know that already? Look, look at the mess you've caused. You don't think they know that already? We start making the point and we fail to say, hey, let me help you out of that mess. Let me help clean you up in that. Verse 13 says this, For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If we are in our right mind, it's for you. The NIV, if you have that one, it says, For if we're out of our minds, it's for God. Or the NLT says, If we seem we're a little crazy, it's for God. And I look at that and I think to myself, you know what? That's us. Get a little crazy for God. Stay a little crazy for God. You know, I, I got to thinking about this in, in what I've done and, and how I've acted in my life. And I try and be normal. But what is normal, first of all? Who defines it? And then the second thing I, I, I want to know is, is that When can I ever be classified as normal if I say that I believe that God sent his son to put on flesh, to live, to die a death, to defeat death, to be raised from the grave, and I believe he did that for my sins? That's crazy. That's crazy talk. How could I ever think that somebody else on the outside world that doesn't know church, this culture that is rejecting everything that's about Jesus, how can I ever stay or say that they're going to think that I'm normal? Why do I want to be normal? Stay a little crazy for God. See, he calls us to be a little crazy. He calls us to be a little messy. And I think maybe even more than a little messy, I think he's called us to be a lot messy. To get right 
down in it. See, when you answer his call, when you take that risk, when you go and you listen to what he has to say to you and you say, I'm going to do it, even though it sounds impossible, do it. I was thinking about this this week. Think about all the things that are out of our norm that we don't do because we feel like they're impossible. But stop and just think about it for two seconds. If if God calls you to it, if he commands you to it, do you not think that he will give you the ability and the means to make that task happen? Think about throughout scriptures. I mean, there's a lame man that is sitting by a pool, and he's trying to get in. He starts talking to Jesus, and in the process of talking to Jesus, Jesus says, hey, why don't you take up your mat and walk? You think everybody else around goes, hey, crazy guy, that's impossible. He's been there for 38 years. That's not going to happen. And Jesus is like, hmm? Think about the guy that got dropped through the roof by his four buddies. And everybody around goes, hey, Jesus, that's impossible. He goes, you think that's impossible? Up he goes. Think about this. There's 5,000 men sitting around with all their wives and all their kids. So sometimes around 15,000 people probably sitting out there. And they're sitting there and they go, man, we're hungry. And he goes, hey, guys, why don't you go grab some food that will feed all these people? They come up with a little boy's lunch. They have some loaves and some fish. And they're like, And he says, whoop, and there it is. The impossible takes place. You think when Peter was standing on the edge of the boat that he was looking out at Jesus going, you know, water's not solid, so I might not be able to do it. And Jesus says, whoop. I don't know if he actually said that or not, but he said, come on out. Come on out. I am going to make it possible. What you see from the human perspective is no longer impossible when you see it through Christ's perspective. And when we see the mess that is out there from a human perspective, you know what it looks like? Impossible. When you watch the the rallies that are taking place for our political choices that are next, we're like, oh, this is impossible. And God's like, you think I don't know this? You don't think I've got this under control? You don't think that I am God and they are not? He's saying that to us, but we're like, God, it's so impossible. And he's like, take a look and see what I've done. The first miracle, turning water into wine. I cannot turn this into wine. But Jesus did, and he made the best that was available because he says, if I give you a command, if I give you a task, I will make it possible. It's all about the impossible viewpoint that we have, looking at it through human perspective. But look at this next verse in verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Some passages say it compels us. But we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. See, we're controlled and we're compelled by Christ. He changes our viewpoint. He changes the way we see things. He changes the way we look at the mess. He changes all of this. I don't live for me anymore. When I wake up in the morning, you know what the first thing I get to remind myself is? I am dead. It is not about me. 
It is not me. I am not going out of this place to, to stroke my ego. I'm not going out of this place to have other people pat me on the back. I'm not going out here to make sure I get approval and do it this way. Instead, I'm going out to listen to what God has called me to do and be compelled by his love to actually accomplish it. That is why we do what we do. I have had many conversations with God. My many conversations with God, sometimes on that Tuesday after I get the numbers that I get and say, God, if you want to release me from this, please do. I'm ready to be released. Let me go. I am out of here. I will do anything else. I will go sell hot dogs and a side cart on the side of the road if that's what I need to do because it's better than this. Because there's days I'm on that roller coaster and it's really, really great, and there's days I'm on that roller coaster and it's really, really bad. And guess what? You're in the same boat. You deal with the same thing. And we will go, God, will you just release me? But guess what? You know what that verse just told us? That no matter how hard or how draining or how discouraging it is, he isn't going to release us from ministry. You know why? Because he isn't going to quit compelling me. We are compelled by Christ. Why? Because we no longer live and he does. And that is where it picks up in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. It's not the same old, same old anymore. It is changed. We are changed. We are dead to ourselves. It is Christ and his point of view that pushes us to say, it doesn't matter about the roller coaster. It doesn't matter about the spectacular ministry. It matters about the sincerity of heart and following him. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And we continue to view the amazing life as actually amazing. You understand that Jesus took you from sin and death to life and abundance? Wow! That's okay. It's okay to be excited about it. There's exclamation points. Boom, 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 boom. All right there. That is awesome. But we get caught up once again becoming the holy huddle, becoming the church, and just kind of sitting and enjoying. We forget we are compelled by Christ's love to go. And you know what we're supposed to go and do? The next verses tell us, starting in verse 18, we're supposed to focus on the task of reconciliation. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, amen, and entrusting us with the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Guess what? We go into this world, we go into this mess, and we share the gospel. And God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We are here to be a part of the message of reconciliation. There is a world that is far from God. They're pushing him away, and he said, come to me, be reconciled. And the only way that's going to happen is through my son, Jesus Christ. Guess what? We get to bring that message. God didn't have to use us. I'm one pathetic loser, but he chose me anyway and said, you get to do my job. You get to be my hands. You get to be my feet. You get to take bags out to people. You get to make food for people. You get to, you've been gifted with something. Use it. Use it for him. I don't care what it is. Use it 
For him, we are here to make a difference, not to make a point. See, those passages right there at the end, that closing verses, they just should excite us. I hope at least on the inside I got a little amen out of you. You're like, hey, amen, amen. I, I, it's, 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 it's there. It's, I just, it's just, yeah, I understand. I grew up in a very conservative Baptist church too. Yes, too often we don't approach it that way though. Too often we look at this message of reconciliation as if we're IRS agents. Because think about this. Nobody wants to work for the IRS. At least I don't think so. Because what does the IRS agent do? They just deliver bad news all the time, don't they? It's not like when the IRS comes knocking or the phone rings and it says IRS on there. I'm like, oh, yay. That, that's not my exciting part of my day. I don't want to talk to them because they're going to deliver bad news about something. And that something is maybe we can reconcile. Maybe we can get you to the point of. Maybe we can, but you've sinned. That's basically what the IRS agent does. You know what we're supposed to be like? We're supposed to be like the guy that announces the lottery. We're supposed to be like the guy back in the day when you buy magazines for Publishers Clearinghouse. Remember that guy that had the balloons and the giant $100 million check? That's supposed to be us. Because you know what the gospel is? It's good news. It's not bad news. So we tell people, it's good news. And you know what? We say, guess what you just won? A hundred million bucks. And guess what happened to me? I won a hundred million bucks too. Because God reconciled us. And now I get to be part of the message of reconciliation to take to you all. And that is how we should approach this. The gospel is good news. You know, I started off by saying that this culture is a mess. And many believe it's only getting worse. But I disagree, because I believe it's always been bad. I just believe that Christianity's kind of been watered down. And I believe now, more than ever, more than any time in the history of America, that we're going to see a very stark division. There's going to be a falling off of the shallow Christian type, and they're going to step up, and people are going to have an opportunity to be salt, and people are going to have an opportunity to be light in a place that is dark and flavorless. And we get that. We get to live in that generation. Is it going to cost us? Yep. It is. But is that okay? Absolutely, because God's given us the tools. If you don't know it already, New Mexico is a very different place. It's a very crazy place. It's a messy place. There's strange, weird people here that have this sense of mediocrity and are okay with it. And if you've lived here, you understand that. If you are from here, you still understand that. But you know what? Even though that makes us a difficult place to live, it's still God's place. These are still God's people. There's still 2.1 million people that live in this state, and of those, 91% of them have never met Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. You may or may not like it here. You may wonder why God brought you to New Mexico. Next week, we'll be here for 14 years. I still go, why? But yet, God has me here for a reason. And God has put me here and my family here, not to just be a dot on the Google map. Not to say, when I search for Baptist churches, when I search for churches in Rio Rancho, when I search for whatever, boom, Paragon Church is one of them. No, I want to be the one or one of the ones, I hope I'm not the only one, I hope we're not the only one, I want to be one that's making a difference in this community. 
And not just a difference in this community, but a difference in the, the whole metropolitan area, a difference in the entire state, a difference in the entire world. I want to go change the world. It's not just part of our slogan to say, come as you are, be changed, go change the world. I want to go change the world. I heard a stat this week that just disturbed me beyond anything. The, te- the, the, the country of Yemen, it's 24 million people live in this country, smaller than New Mexico. And in the northern part, there are 8 million people. It's mostly Muslim. 8 million people. You know how many Christians are in that 8 million people? 30. There's more people in this room than there are Christians in North Yemen. What do we do? We look at the mess and we do what? We get a rag. We go clean it up. We go. We move forward. We get out there and we do something about it. See, there's people that are far from God. There's people that have never even heard the name. Two billion people in this world are unreached. And that doesn't mean unsaved. That doesn't mean without Christ because they denied him. It means they've never even heard it before. How do we do anything? We're just a little church, right? No. We're a big church. We're the body of Christ that needs to go out. And that is what we do, and that is where we're going. God has given you a church to work, to be a part of, to support and work with, to move forward with, and go. As we look at these next 16 months, I don't know what God's got. I'm praying that he reveals it sooner than later. But we are moving in a direction that I would like you to come with us. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your encouragement. God, I pray that it's never about having a spectacular ministry without first having a sincere heart. I pray, God, it's never about me. It's never about Jerome. It's never about any individual that is up here or any individual that is a part of the church, but instead it is about you and your body functioning in a way that is making a difference, not making a point, but making a difference in this world. That world starts wherever you've put us at, whether that be in a, in a school setting, or that be in a job setting, or that be in a setting at Walmart, or whatever it might be. God, wherever we go, shine your light through us, because this world is dark and this world is messy. Help us to go. We pray it in your name. Amen. I'm going to jump down here on the far side over here in this, this row. If you want to pray with me, I would love to pray with you. If there's something that's on your heart and you're saying, man, God spoke to me, because I don't know why. I was supposed to bring this message tonight. I really don't. Because I told you what I wanted to do, but God kept saying, do it this way. Maybe it's because he was talking to you. Maybe it's because he was talking to me. I'm going to sit down here. I would love to pray with you if there's something that, that, you're, that you're heavy on. And maybe, just maybe, I've said something tonight to you that said, I didn't understand that's what Jesus did for me. I didn't understand that Jesus came and he lived and he died so that I could be saved. I would love to talk to you about that too. We'll be down here in the front as Jerome sings. That kind of uh, spoke a little bit about what we talked about this week. We we got in a conversation about uh, about the story of the five loaves, two fish, yeah, something like that. But uh, I told him as uh, as I was reading on it, I'm like. How often do we just kind of read over the story and, and just don't even think like, yeah, I just fed a bunch of people with a couple of fish and some bread. 
and, and just how impossible that really is and that with God how how he keeps doing the impossible through people or, or doing the impossible allowing people to do those things and and then here we are today and we have this message of reconciliation and we're like oh but I can't talk to that person because you just don't know the history that's gone on and God's like I made a man walk on water and I can only imagine being one day in the presence of God with everybody and all the other saints and and uh, you know he calls over Daniel and be like hey Daniel I know you spent time in the uh, the lion's den, and Peter, you walked on water, and you you know you were killed for my namesake, and just everybody else who went through all these amazing things. And goes, listen to what Jerome did. He went and talked to somebody that they just didn't get along. All that, you know. And how often we were like, God, you just you just don't understand. And he's like, I'm God. I can do the impossible. Reaching the neighbor that just seems like they hate you. God is capable of breaking down that chill. So that when it does happen, we go, there is no other explanation but God. At that conference, um, one of the things the guys, the, the man said today was, you know, talking about the mess, was... You know, we're a church and we've been called and we've been tasked with this amazing ability to go and share the gospel message and to make a difference in this world. But he said, think about if garbage men were to be taken from the earth and Christians were to be taken from the earth, which would people raise a fuss about being gone from the world more? Christians or people who pick up the garbage? with the power of the Holy Spirit if if they were taken from their life. Because we've been given such an amazing power, we've been given such amazing fruits from the Spirit that uh, people who are unbelievers, whether they deny Scripture or not, would be able to say, "There's, there's just something there. I can't deny it. sad to think that somebody who does a simple task would be missed more so than somebody that has been given the amazing power of the Holy Spirit. So this song that we're going to sing is called Good, Good Father, and it's new, so I mean, I realize it may not be that easy to sing until you hear it a few times, but... If you do know it, sing it with us. And if not, just allow us to sing it over you, sing it over the church. And it's really just a reminder that our God is good. He's a good dad. And even though money seems tight and our health is failing and the kids are crazy and the neighbor is nuts and the house is falling apart, he's a good father. And if we know how to give our kids good gifts, just being simple human that are sinful. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who love 
that he loves. Right? 